Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I need to tell you a, a little story before I open uh, God's Word to bring the message this morning. By the way, we're going to be in 2 Kings if you want to start heading there. But he, here's some, uh, some news that's going on around the river. Um, Many of you know that uh, one of our pastors who had been with us for many years uh, felt called to, to move back home to Greenville, and uh, Pastor Terry and his family are there. And when, when that transition began to happen, it became very obvious to myself and the other elders, okay, there's going to be kind of a leadership vacuum that we're going to have to be going to God and asking for clarity and direction on. And we, we saw pretty quickly that God had raised up uh, Kyra Campbell to give leadership to our our worship team, and we're, we're thank, we thank God for that um, and the leadership that he's uh, just brought already. Um, and then we started praying more about, okay, student ministry. God, we, we got we to gotta, we gotta know what, what you want, what's on your heart. And so we began praying, and God raised somebody up uh, pretty quickly, and uh, we started heading down that pathway. And it became obvious uh, after some conversations with parents and some of the students that God wasn't just looking for, for one person to give leadership to this, this ministry, that there were going to be at least two. And so um, God quickly raised up another one, and we started processing and praying through, through that one. And when that happened, God did something that was very unexpected, and God said, no, it's not going to be two, it's going to be three. I have raised up three people from among you who are going to step into leadership in student ministry in the season ahead. And so I want you to meet uh, those three people today. I'm going to ask them to head on upstage. I'm going to get up here um, now and uh, make some space for them. I, I know I'm probably going to drive our camera people a little crazy, but if y'all will, will come on up. Yeah, you can, you can say yay for them. If you want to, y'all just find a seat and take a seat. And if there is a problem, uh, you may have to turn your microphone on. Those have a little red dot on the bottom. Just check those out. Make sure your mic is on. Everybody's mics are on. Okay, wonderful. Well, let me, let me see if I can kind of explain what's happening here. And again, I know I'm about to drive the camera people crazy, but that's, they'll, they'll learn to live with it. Um, Here's what God has done. God created in our midst three positions to lead student ministry in the days ahead. One of those uh, is going to be the director of our senior high ministry uh, efforts. And Ty Coleman, right here, raise your hand, Ty. Ty is stepping into that. Yeah, yeah. Then we've got a director of middle school ministries. And Garrett Walker is stepping into that. And then um, helping and, and, and working on both ends of that spectrum, um, doing what we're calling care, connection, and communication, um, is Caitlin Housen. She's coming back on our staff. Um, and we're very, very grateful for this. Now, here's what I, I would like for you guys to just take a minute and do. I think I sent you four things that I wanted you to plan to share, and I done forgot what they are. Um, so I, I'm just going to put uh, Garrett on the spot. And, and let him set the path for the other two to follow. 
Um, I, I know I wanted you to share a little bit about how long you've been at River, um, your family, your spouse name, your kids, that kind of stuff, where, where your other employment might be and uh, what you do, and then um, just what God's spoken to you about being a part of this. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I do remember the four questions. It's dangerous him giving me a mic and not giving me the exact questions. But um, my name is Garrett Walker. We started with River Bluff in 2004. Um, Amy Logan and David Logan, you guys who've been here for a long time, uh, the Lord used them to invite them, invite us to their small group. We were doing purpose-driven life back then, and uh, they really showed us some love and what this this family of River Bluff is all about, and it really started us now on a 16, 17-year journey here at River Bluff with small groups, and just the compassion and care that we show one another as a family has is, is just been tremendous. So we've been here since 2004. Uh, I am married to Linda Walker. They are over there. Um, we have been married for 19 years in December. I have a son, Noah, who is a freshman at Fort Dorchester High School, and my daughter, Juliana, is a sixth grader at Rawlings Middle School of the Arts. So we are excited about that. New schools, new time we're living in now with all the COVID business, so school looks different. So if you haven't begun to already, I would ask that you please pray for those in education because we are learning new things every day about how we do our job and our industry. So thank you for that. Um, as far as what I do, I also work in education. I'm beginning my 22nd year in Dorchester II. Um, during my time in Dorchester II, I've taught eighth grade social studies. I've been an assistant principal. And for the last 15 years, or this is the, my 15th year as a social studies curriculum specialist. So my job is to go into the classrooms, work with the teachers, be their partner, um, allow them opportunities to ask questions and really help them be as engaging as possible with history, social studies, economics, and all of that um, to make sure that they are uh, really connecting with our students. Um, it is something that I'm really passionate about. I love helping people. And, um, and so God has really blessed me with the opportunity to partner with teachers all the way from kindergarten to seniors in high school. It's a wonderful, wonderful position to be in. Um, I have been in middle school oriented world for the better part of the last 22 years. Um, oftentimes it's in school, sometimes it's coaching soccer or swimming, but I've always had a passion for the middle level. Um, somewhere in the ages of 11 to about 15 is really my sweet spot and I really love that age group. Now that may seem very strange to most, if not all of you, but I connect there. I love middle school. Um, I think it's often a forgotten time period. And for me, um, it's my passion every day. It's why I get up. And so when God called me into this position through the elders, leadership, and Joe, um, it just felt right. And so I'm excited about what student ministry with these guys are. I have a new brother and new sister in ministry, and I'm excited about our teamwork. Um, I'm excited about what God's going to do with our children. I'm excited about the kids who are not in Driven, who are out there in the community, um, just waiting for a place to connect. And I'm hoping that River Bluff will be a place where people not just here already, but those who aren't here will feel welcome and uh, encouraged to know and love the God we serve. So, guys, I'm excited about our teamwork. Amen. Is that too Amen. long? Amen. Yeah, perfect. Ty, I'm going to ask you if you will step in next. I'm going to go grab my water while you're doing that, brother. You remember the four? Hello. There we go. 
Sorry, uh, I'm not good with technology. Um, well, I'm Ty Coleman. Um, we've been, my family and I have been uh, at the river for six years now. Um, and we absolutely love it here. Uh, this is our family away from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, if you haven't noticed. Um, we're in the Eagles mask here. So all you Dallas Cowboys, please stay, keep your distance. It's COVID time, so keep your distance. Um, anyway, um, uh, I, I've been, so we've been here for uh, six years. My daughter is a second grader um, at Windsor Hill Elementary School. Uh, we have a son that's three years old, and we have a newborn that is going on six weeks. So, um, so yeah, so that's where we are in life. It's crazy in the house, you know. Um, but what was the other question? Oh, my occupation outside of the river. Um, I am a loan officer um, with Premier Nationwide Lending. I've been doing that for just over a year now. Um, I've also have background in education. I've uh, taught on the high school level, on elementary school level, um, and even on adult level with uh, financial education. So I've, I've have a wide range of teaching, um, and I really enjoy it. Um, Absolutely uh, love the interaction with people. Um, if you don't know, I am a hugger. Um, I typically like giving hugs or pounds or now elbows. Um, so you'll, you'll see that when, uh, when I'm interacting with you guys. Um, anyway, um, third question was, what's the third question? Vocation. Vocation, okay, so, um, so then next, why I'm excited, um, well, I've worked with Caitlin, um, and she's awesome. Uh, you can't get anyone better at uh, communicating than Caitlin, so, so, so um, I'm excited for that. Garrett is a great person. I mean, I was excited once I knew that me and you were going to be working together. Um, I think we, we clicked well from the times that we spent here at the river. Um, and then high school, I've, I've been uh, teaching uh, with our high school youth uh, for the last three and a half years, I believe. Um, and I absolutely love them. Uh, I love to see them go on to college and, and then I can just kind of, you know, remember the times that we had right over there in the classroom. Um, and then also with our, our trips and everything uh, with, with uh, Mission Serve now. Uh, I love to see how our high schoolers can put their hands to work and then minister to people with our prayer walks and things like that. Um, and then our, um, when we have our winter retreat, uh, that's a, a great time where we come together and, and really seek God uh, to do some amazing things in our lives. And I, those are all special moments for me, and I absolutely love it, and I'm excited to extend that um, at a higher capacity. Um, my name is Caitlin. Did it go off? Can you hear me? Hello. No. Germaphobe in a pandemic is great. Okay. Um, so <laughs> um, I'm Caitlin Hausend. I'm really excited to be here. Um, 
I served on staff for four years, um, from 2015 to 2019, um, with our high school students um, working under Pastor Terry. Um, as far as River Bluff, I have been here almost 32 years. Um, I was carried in as an eight-month-old baby um, when my dad took a position um, to work at Midland Park. And um, my husband, Andrew, and I have been married for eight years. When we were dating, we checked out some other churches in the area just to see kind of what, um, you know, what God had for our family. And we just kept coming back here, and this feels like home, and this is where we wanted to raise our kids. Um, we have three children, um, a four-year-old son, a two-year-old daughter, and a seven-week-old baby. Um, so we're also living in a zoo. Um, she's a girl, she's a baby. Um, and um, I have um, a degree also in education. I taught in an elementary school for three years. And then I left the classroom around 2013 um, to kind of build a side business that I had been working on, which was developing curriculum and lesson plans for the classroom. So that's what I do in my free time. Um, and I'm just really excited to be um, back as part of student ministry. Um, as soon as I left, I started praying that God would give me um, the ability, the time, just kind of the, the right space for this to work for our family again. And this is, has been it. It's been really kind of amazing behind the scenes as we've talked about kind of the holes that needed to be filled, and um, I'm really excited when my dad called me and told me care, connection, and communication. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, like I got chills. That's that's what I'm excited about. So I'm excited to, um, to get to kind of bridge the gap between the parents and the students and the leaders and just kind of working with all three groups of people. I want to take, yeah, yeah, amen. I want to take a moment uh, for us to pray for them. Um, this is a, uh, you know, they're, all of them have uh, significant other responsibilities. And so uh, th this is a big step for them. Uh, and, uh, but they, I also believe this with my whole heart and so do the elders. They've been called of God. And we know that when God calls someone out, he equips them for the work that he's calling them to do. But I want us to pray for them. And I want us to start today, but don't let it end today. Just We, we want to continue to remember them uh, in prayer. So join me as, as we pray for these this morning. Father God, we come giving thanks for who you are. That you are the kind of father that when, when we have, uh, God, a need, you step in. And you step in in ways we never could have imagined, God, and you fill those needs. And so we come right now praying, asking God for your blessing uh, on our student ministry. We look forward to the day that they can once again regather and, and celebrate the goodness of God in a context, Lord, uh, that works for them. And we pray now for these three that you have called out. And set apart for this work in the season ahead at River Bluff. So we pray for Garrett and his family. We pray for Ty and his family. We pray for Caitlin and her family. God, we ask for your hand to be on them. We ask for you to give them strength, supernatural strength that they'll need to lead. We ask you to give them wisdom. Father, I thank you that they have a heart for cooperation and collaboration already with one another. And I just pray, God, that we will get to see the beauty of that form and forge for the days in ministry ahead. Jesus, we thank you that this is all about you. It's for your glory. It's for your kingdom. And I thank you that these three are willing to make the sacrifices and their families are willing to make the sacrifices to see your kingdom come, to see your will done in the lives of students uh, right here in the area of accountability that you've given this church to take the gospel. 
Father, I pray your blessings upon them. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Okay, y'all can mass, yeah, mass back up. There's some wipes down here since y'all ended up having to pass microphones around. Wipe your hands good, and, um, and thank you so much. Head on off. I appreciate it. Yeah, you can just put your mics down, and if they roll, lay them on the stage. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Um, if you got your Bibles, if you would, go ahead and open them to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 13 this morning, if I can get unhung from everything. 2 Kings chapter 13. And uh, we're going to be looking at what, uh, in some ways, is a bit of a, um, a little bit of an unusual uh, story. Uh, it's a historic account, an, an event uh, that took place. And uh, I want to I want to share that with you today. Now, this morning, you know, we began our service, and I want us to think and talk about living this life that is really b- beyond belief. And, uh, you know, as we have already seen, um, God does things in ways that we don't always think about. Uh, we don't always see exactly how he's going to make things happen. Um, and it really is, we get, we get to live th- this life that is beyond uh, our own belief. And some of you are saying, Joe, you don't, how do you know? You don't know what I believe. Well, I know what God's Word says. And, and God's Word tells me that no eye has seen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no eye has seen and no ear ha- has heard. And no mind, no matter how great your imagination, no mind has ever imagined all that God has prepared for those who love Him. God, God has these incredible plans, and we could, none of us could imagine all that, that, that God wants, wants to do. We, we just can't. Those of you who have been with uh, this church for, for years know that we, we never could have imagined years ago what God would do to bring us here. We never could have imagined that God would miraculously provide us with 25 acres, that we, could do, we were this blue-collar church, and God said, I want to grow you, I want to bless you, so you'll be a blessing. And, and then God said, we, we thought we would sell the buildings over at the other site before we moved over here. And God said, no, we want you, I want you to keep that. And I want you to build a center there that cares for and loves and, and helps people come to know Jesus and, and meets their needs. And then we were, had no idea that God was going to allow us to kind of refurbish that building and uh, start planting other churches there and help churches plant and, and, and for, for, for the kingdom's sake. And there's a church over there now just thriving right now, that these things that God's doing, because he's doing things in us that, that's, that's just beyond belief. And so this morning, I want you to look with me at a story from the scriptures that really are uh, about life beyond belief, because something unbelievable happens in what we're going to read this morning. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 14, if you would, with me. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. It's kind of a strange thing to cry, but that's what he cried when he saw the prophet. Uh, Verse 15, And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows, and he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory. 
the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end to them. And he said, this is Elisha, said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you always strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land uh, the spring of every year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Now, friends, that's life, that's life beyond belief. And I want to I give you six, what I think of six takeaways from this passage of Scripture, from this historic event, um, to, to help you move into a, a life, living a life beyond belief. And here's the first, first takeaway, first thing you need to take. The first thing you need to take is you need to take instruction. You need to be able to take instruction. Be willing and ready to take direction from others. And this will always require humility. Sometimes it's going to require uh, repentance. And sometimes, like in this case uh, with King Joash, it's going to to, to take desperation. Sometimes you may have to be desperate to, to see God move. This was a desperate king. If you look back at verse 14 and 15, it says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness with which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him, wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. He went down to see Elisha because he, he came to understand Elisha wasn't going to be around much longer. And, and this, this life was leaving this prophet. One of the uh, favorite titles of uh, Elisha that the Bible gave him was the man of God. That's, that's a title you see in Scripture for Elisha. It was the title, the man of God. It's an incredible title. Now, Elisha, this prophet of God, he was the prophet for the nation, and he, he, he has divine sight from God. God gives him divine sight, and it was through that divine sight that oftentimes Israel would win many victories. And, and now he's dying. And now the king, uh, Joash, sometimes also called Jehoash, he, he was new to this king thing. And so he wants to go be with this prophet to, to meet with this man of God before the, the window of opportunity kind of closed. And this king was desperate to hear a word from the Lord from Elisha before he was to pass. Now, again, you got you to think about this. In the mind of this king, this prophet was the word of God. And so he went seeking God. He went, he went down, the Bible tells us, to see e- Elijah. This was uncommon for things to do. Kings normally summon people to themselves. But again, he was, he was desperate. Sometimes, you know this, sometimes it takes a desperate situation to drive us to the place where we will receive instruction from God. Now, from a historical perspective, if you go back and you study uh, Elisha's life, one of the things you'll discover is he hadn't kind of been heard from for about uh, two decades. 
I don't think personally from my study that Joash had ever actually met with Elisha. You know, from my study, mostly what this king could have come to know about Elisha, he learned from his father, King Jehoahaz. That, that's where I think he got most of his information. And now Joash comes weeping, and he's weeping over the loss, the coming loss of this prophetic voice. And he cries, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And here's something interesting you might want to know. He's actually quoting Elisha. If you, if you go back and look in 2 Kings chapter 2, these are the exact words that Elisha used when he witnessed his mentor, Elijah, miraculously being swept up to heaven, Elijah didn't die. He was taken to heaven, the Bible tells us, in a chariot of fire drawn by horses of fire. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, if you want to. And that's the exact statement that Elisha makes when he witnesses that. He says, my father, my father. He's talking to Elijah. The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And the Bible tells us he saw him no more. Now, again, th this is Joe's opinion. What this king was saying when he used those words was saying, what are we going to do without you? What, you're, you're, you're the one who won the battles. You're better than our chariots because the, the word of God came to you and we knew what to do and the victory from God always came from you. And we, we're not going to know what to do with, without you. And Elisha responds here in verse 15 by giving instructions. And this desperate king takes his instructions to heart, even though they seem kind of strange. Verse 15 says, and Elisha said to him, take a bow and take arrows. And so it says the king took a bow and he took arrows. I believe Elisha is saying, king, God wants to teach you something about how to fight. About how to fight battles. Not, not battles in the physical realm, but spiritual battles. You've been, you've been trying to fight on the physical level this whole time. That's why you've been losing that's why you're worn down. That's why you've come to this point of desperation. And so the prophet says, get a bow and get some arrows. And the king does as he's told. Now, again, this is a very humbling act for a, a king. And the first thing that you and I need to take if we're going to live a life beyond belief is, is we're going to have to take instructions. We're going to have to humble ourselves. In 2 Kings chapter 22, there's a story about another king, a king named King Josiah who had to humble himself before the Lord. And I want you to see how God responds to a king who will humble himself in the presence of God. He says this in verse 19 of chapter 22. You were sorry, this is God speaking, and humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard what I said, you tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance, and I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. Josiah humbled himself. He took the instructions of the Lord. Peter, writing to the New Testament church, writes these words in 1 Peter 5, 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of us. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Let me ask you a question. How, how well do you take instructions from others? How well do you take direction for your life from others? Or, or do you live a life of arrogance, believing you've got it all figured out? This king took direction. When was the last time you took some direction from God, even when it didn't make sense, and you humbled yourself and you did it? See, if you want to live a life beyond belief, one of the things you've got to take is you've got to take instruction. 
Second thing that I, I see here that the king took and, and we've got to take is we've got to be willing to take aim. We've got to be willing to take aim. Look at verses 16 and 17. Then he said to the king, this is Elisha, to the king of Israel, draw the bow and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hand on the king's hand. Now, uh, again, right now what's happening is this, this prophet is going to give this king some divine guidance. He would reach out and touch him. Now, remember, this is a king. Not anybody could, could touch a king to put his hand on a king, but this king is desperate. And you'll see why in a moment. Verse 17, and it said, he said to, to the king, open the window eastward, and the king opened it. Now, please notice this. The prophet did not open the window for the king. He told him to open it. I think far too often, one of the things that I've seen in my own life and in the life of others, we, we, we're, we're constantly asking God for opportunities, opportunities, opportunities. And God is waiting on us to open the opportunities that are right smack dab in front of us. And I want you to notice something. God's direction through the prophet was very specific. He told him exactly which window to open. And I believe this, God is pointing the king to something specific in his life. What, what, what direction has God been leading you lately? What, what has God been speaking to you? And here's the, are you resisting? Or are you opening yourself to God's call on your life? See, there's something in all of our lives that God is wanting to give us grace in, that he's wanting to give us strength in, that he's wanting to pour blessing in. But he's going, he's going to give you certain instructions, and you're going to have to take aim at that direction that God wants to, to, to work in you to transform you. A third thing that we need to take that I find in this account, we need to take action. We need to take, we need to take some instruction. We need to take aim, and then we need to take action. Look at, look at starting in verse 17. And he said, this is Elisha, and he said to the king, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha, Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. When you take instruction, when you take aim, and then when you take action, that's when you start to see victory. You start to, to see victory kind of on the horizon. You start to see the hope that you ha have needed. The king sees hope of victory over Syria. Maybe, maybe what you need to see is hope and victory over depression, or maybe hope for victory over an addiction. Or, or maybe hope of victory. Right now maybe you're in some kind of doubt. And you're, you're doubting the goodness of God. Or maybe, maybe right now you need victory uh, and, and hope over, over unforgiveness. Maybe you need a new victory in something. Verse 17 concludes. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. The prophet is saying this arrow that you just shot... It's showing you that victory is coming. Victory can, can come for you, King. Victory is, is, is on the horizon. Here's what victory could ultimately look like for you, O King. You could ultimately completely defeat the, the Syrians. Completely destroy the enemy. Right now, things are starting to look up for this king. He's taken instruction. He's taken aim. He's taken action. And now he's hearing the prophet of the, the man of God. 
declaring that victory is just, just on the horizon for him. Now, I want you to know something about, about this King Joash. I, my heart goes out for him. As, as I studied and, and, and just kind of looked a little bit at his life, um, this, this message that Elisha w- would bring to him, because he really was in a desperate state when he showed up. And you, you really need to understand his plight. See, th- there were patterns in his rule that he had inherited, behaviors uh, in, in his rule that he in, had inherited from all the kings that had gone before him. Many of them were evil. These were the examples that had been set for, for him in his lifetime. Uh, and, and most of those kings that he had examples of were, were half-hearted kings. And they, they tried to fulfill their God-given role of being king, but they tried to fulfill it in flesh-patterned ways. They tried to live it out, just powering their way through. They had these patterns of rejecting God. And when you're stuck in a pattern, a flesh pattern, a predictable pattern that you just kind of see over and over again, here's what happens. Defeat feels automatic. It just feels like no matter where you turn, you're going to be defeated. Victory, there's, you, know, you never see victory, it feels like. And at this time in, in the history of the nation of Israel, it was in much oppression. People were overwhelmed. They didn't see victory. Anybody here maybe feeling a little overwhelmed by circumstances, by all that's going on in our world today? See, Joash was trying to deal with this. He, he, was, he was actually a fairly new king. He was through in this kind of season of transition as the leader of a nation that was deeply oppressed, crazily just overwhelmed. And quite frankly, he, he put on a crown that was a little too big for his pinhead. I mean, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't equipped to, to step into this. Have you, ever, have you ever stepped into a situation and you got in and didn't feel like you were ready to do it? I, I imagine these three that were on stage earlier may feel a little bit like that. Well, th- th- four. There are days I don't feel ready to do this. But God's called us. And, and, we, and, and we have to, to step out. If you're a parent here today... You, you should raise your hand and say, yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I thought I was equipped to do something and got in and realized, oh, what? You know, you, 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 got you, them, you got you them their parent books when you found out you were going to have that first one. And you started reading them parent books. You felt so confident. And then that kid showed up. And you realized, I'm in over my head, man. It's not going to be for the grace of God I'm, I'm going to be sunk. See, this king was like that. He, he didn't feel prepared. He's transitioning in this new role, and now he's going to have to do it without the man of God, without kind of the secret weapon of Israel, if you would. He's going to have to do it without Elisha. And so the king comes to Elisha for final instructions. He, he, he wants to know, what do I do? And he, the Bible tells us he comes weeping which would normally be thought of, if a king did that, you know, this, this display of weeping would be uh, thought of as weakness. But this new king is weeping under all the enormous pressure that he's inherited. And it's not just pressure from one enemy, it's pressure coming in every direction, from the north, south, east, and west. It's coming, just coming at him. If you've never felt that kind of, of pressure, 
If you've never been in a predicament before where it feels like everything's coming at you from, things are just closing in on every side, you might not get what's going on with Joash. You know, he was, a, he was having a hard time at work. And then he'd go home and he'd have a hard time at home and think, maybe I should go back to work. And he got to, some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you felt life like that. You know, it's one thing to have, you know, one pressure, something coming at you from one direction. But, but right now, I think all of us feel like it's coming from every direction. Just all around us, this world just seems to be pressing in in, in, in so many ways. That's what Joash was feeling. And that's why he, he comes to, to, to the prophet, the man of God, and he cries out, Father, Father. He didn't have a great father figure in his life. He didn't have a role model for masculine leadership. He had this corrupt dad whose father had been corrupt, and his father's father had been corrupt, and his father, just, just corruption. And so the king comes in weeping. I'm attacked on the right, I'm attacked on the left. Some of you feel like that today. You feel that, that attack. You feel attacked in your finances. You feel attacked maybe in your family. You feel attacked internally and externally. And you, you just start to feel like I can't get any relief. And you might cry out to God, God, what do I do? What do you want me to do? That's basically what Joash was doing. And you would think, you know, what would happen is in a moment like that, he would get some comfort. But Elisha doesn't, you know, comfort him. Elisha gives him some instructions. He tells him to take aim. He tells him to, to act. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't tell him, hey, everything's going to be all right. Come here, king. Let me hug you. He, did, he didn't say that. He tells him to take action. And the king takes his first baby step towards that. And the moment he steps, the prophet says, I see victory. I see victory for you, king. God is showing me what victory for you looks like. Get a bow. Get an arrow. Shoot east. And so he does. Friends, here's the truth. You are not going to start seeing victory in your life until you take action. If all you do is sit around and, and weep over what's dying around you or dying in you, you got to take action. You got to get your bow, he says. You got to get your arrows because every, everything that you need for victory, God's going to supply. It'll be right there within your reach. Take, take action. There's a fourth thing you need to take. You need to take ownership. You need to take ownership. You're going to have to own your stuff. You're going to have to take responsibility for your stuff. Now, this, this young king comes to this old prophet, and he says, what do I do? And the scripture says the prophet puts his hand on him. He touched him. Friends, when someone comes to you for help, they're not looking for lists normally. They're looking for a connection. They're looking for relationship. And the prophet recognizes this and he connects with this king. And it really sets, sets the king up to start moving in the right direction, to, to take aim, to take action. You know, often it's a whole lot easier for somebody to get it if you show them, if you extend your life into them. Friends, that's the heart of making disciples. 
pouring your life into somebody else, coming alongside and, 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 and touching their life. And so Elisha says, get your bow, get your arrow, get to work. I'm going to help you with the strength that I had. And see, the prophet needed for this king to, to start being able to see a victory because all he could see was defeat. And Elisha tells him, stop, stop just looking at the walls. Open a window. Stop just thinking, I can't get through these walls. I can't get over these walls. Open something. You know, sometimes some of us spend all our lives just looking at our limitations, just looking at the walls that we can't get through or get, get over or, or, or get around. Sometimes you got to throw something open that God gives you. you got to go in that direction where, where God tells you to go. And I think so often for me in my life, I've watched this, God's been waiting on me to take a step in the direction where he's telling me to go. And only then, when I first take that step of obedience, do I start to find victory. Do I start to see what victory over this could look like in my own life. So this king goes and opens a window. Seems strange to him. But the prophet says, shoot an arrow out the window. So he, he does it. Now, most men would like that. You know, we, we would like to, you know, somebody tell us, go open the window and start, you know, target practice, you know. Uh, the, the king, he, he does it. This, this man of God gives him direction. Now, I don't know whether the king realized it or not, but the direction that Elisha was telling him to shoot was in the direction of his greatest enemy, the Syrians. This was, he, was, he was saying, I need you, king, to take aim and take action in this direction. I need you to own this. Now, some of you may have never heard of King Hazael. He was the king of the Syrians. And he, he was kind of like, in that day, Hitler. I mean, he oppressed horribly the people of God. And this is who uh, basically Joash has inherited as a, as a, as a mortal enemy. And he, he has decimated Israel and the armies of Israel. He seems uh, unbeatable. And the man tells this newly, man of God tells this newly coordinated king, I want you to open a window and I want you to take aim at your most feared enemy. And friends, this is important, I believe, because the battle hadn't even begun. But the prophet knows this king needs to see that the battle's the Lord's. You know, one of the things that I love about being a follower of Jesus is I don't have to fight for a victory. I get to fight from victory. I have victory in Jesus. I don't have to try to battle in this life for a victory. I have victory. And Elisha was telling this king that the battle is the Lord's. It can already be won. Just start walking in that direction. Let me ask you a question. What would it take, what would it take today for you to start seeing yourself victorious on whatever it is you're facing? For you to, to really start envisioning God giving you a victory in the greatest area, the greatest enemy in, in your life right now. What would it take for you? To see yourself maybe being victorious over an addiction or, or, or starting to walk in financial freedom or, or, or maybe to, to start living 
as if you've been forgiven or start living forgiving others? What would it take for you to start seeing yourself actually fulfilling the purposes that God created you for? What would it be like for you to have a victory in starting to finally see yourself as being significant in the very sight of God? What, what would it feel like to, to, to overcome victoriously uh, it, maybe drugs or, or alcohol, to start seeing yourself as loving, maybe to start seeing yourself as someone who is kind, maybe to start seeing your marriage in a different light? What would it take today for you to start seeing just a little bit of possibility of victory in your life. You gotta take some things. And one of the things you gotta do is take ownership. And sometimes you have to see it first with eyes of faith. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, great faith chapter, starts out this way. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. You may want to write that one down. It's not going to come up. It's not in your notes. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us we're to walk by faith, not by sight. See, faith has a vision capacity of its own. And we, we as Christians should understand above all people, we ought to be ready to see with that kind of sight. We ought to understand like nobody else can what an empty grave can do. And the man of God shows the king what victory could look like. Friends, if you will just trust Jesus, not just only for your eternal salvation, but for today. Jesus is not the man of God. Jesus is the God-man. He was God in the flesh. He was not just some man of God that God would whisper something. He was God in the flesh. He's worthy of our, of our trust right now. So will you trust him with your life? Even, even a life in, in the middle of a pandemic. Will you trust him when you're facing battles? When you're... Elijah knows that this king needs this. And so he, he tells him, gives him some instructions. He puts his hand on him. He, he, he shows him what to do. Now, here's, here's the truth. And this is what happens to so many of us. I watched this happen in the lives of Christians over and over again. The king knew he could see his problems. He could see the Haziel. He could see the Syrians. And he, he could become discouraged because he wouldn't take ownership of keeping his eyes on the victory that God had given him. And we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. See, Jesus is our victory. And this is where the king starts to falter because of what happens next. And, and, and what happens in our lives so very, very often is once the worship service is over, we don't apply what we've learned. We, we don't apply. We don't take responsibility. We don't own it. And like this king, we start losing ground. And we start discovering that our biggest enemy wasn't out here. It was inside of us. That was where our biggest enemy was. It wasn't some external Syria. It was often inside of us. And so Elisha had some more instructions for the king. Starting in verse 18, he said, take the arrows. He still had some arrows left. And, and he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So 
So Elisha died and they buried him. See, Elisha tells the king, get your other arrows and here's what I want you to do. I want you to start hitting the ground, man. Just start striking the ground. And the king does. Grabs the rest of the arrows and he goes. And he, he hits it three times and he stops. Did you notice what Elisha said do? Elisha said get arrows. King got arrows. Elisha said strike the ground. King struck the ground. Did Simon say stop? He didn't say stop. He wasn't supposed to stop. Because Elisha needed him to see, you're going to have to keep striking it. You're going to have to keep striking it. You're going to have to keep striking it for the full victory to be yours. You got to own it, king. You got to own your stuff. And the king wouldn't do that. And it broke the heart of the prophet. If you've ever walked with somebody in faith, you maybe helped them come to Christ and you've helped them start growing and then you see them stop short. They, they start getting a little victory, but then they stop short. They stop reading their Bible. They stop going to their small group. They slowly stop coming to worship. And then you watch them fall off the edge. You, you, you watch that. Friends, here's the truth. A little bit of complacency today will lead you to full captivity tomorrow. It, it will just do that. The king stops after three strikes, breaks the heart of the prophet. He, he's angry about it. Elisha said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Why just stop? Friends, you, you, you got to own your stuff. you got to keep striking in that place that God has given you. Until the victory comes, you can't stop. He's going to show you a coming victory, but you got to fight for it too. God's going to do his part, but you got to keep striking at it. And so the prophet says, you're not going to utterly defeat Syria. He basically says you'll win three battles, but the enemy won't fully be defeated. He's going to come back for you. You know, Paul writes to the church at Galatians, Galatians 6, 9, he says, don't get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time, you'll reach, reap a harvest of blessings if you don't get tired and give up. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, keep your mind on Jesus who put up with many insults for sinners. Then you won't get discouraged and give up. We, we've got we to stay focused on Jesus. We've got to own our stuff. Verse 20 says, so Elisha died and they buried him. Now, some of the king's hope probably died in that moment. He had taken instruction, he'd taken aim, he'd taken action, but he hadn't taken ownership. See, one of the things that's going to be true about you, even if you do all of that, even if you take ownership, you're going to fail. You're going to falter somewhere along the line, just like this king does. And when you do, here's the next thing you got to do. You got to take grace. You got, you got to take grace. See, even when you fail, God's grace has not run out. Even when you quit striking, God's grace will have not run out. You may not be living in victory. You may still be stuck, but God is filled with loving kindness. The Bible says his mercies are new every single day, even in your weakness, even in your failings. Back to our story, 2 Kings uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 20. So Elisha died, they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen. And the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his own feet. 
Man, can you be the, imagine being the pallbearer at that funeral? And terrorists, you see terrorists on the horizon. And you're carrying the body. Now, their cemeteries were a little bit different than ours. A lot of times they were in caves, and it was like a community cave. And so they're, they're carrying this guy's body, and they see the Moabites, which was another great enemy of Israel that this king was having to face, coming. And the only thing the pallbearers can think to do is they toss, literally it says, they threw the body in the grave. And this body landed on the bones of Elisha, who had been, it was a community cemetery. And as soon as this body of this dead man lands on the bones of Elisha, it says he stood up on his own feet. Now, I, it would freak me out if I'd have been the pallbearer there. And I had tossed this dude in a grave and started running from these terrorists. And the next thing I know, I look to my left, and here comes the dead dude. I mean, this is what's happening here. God has given life where life was not possible. Life beyond belief. Anytime God performs a miracle, he doesn't just do it just for us. He does it so that people will see him. And I believe this. Because the Bible tells us that Elisha's body had decomposed to the point where there were just bones, this had been some time. I believe this king had grown depressed again, discouraged again, desperate again. And he needed some hope to lead the people into those three victories. We don't, he hasn't had those three victories yet. And so this happens. And the goodness of God is proclaimed through the prophetic voice of a dead prophet's bones. Don't you imagine that got told throughout the city? Don't you imagine the king got word? You're not going to believe this king. Dude touched, dead dude touched Elijah's bones and he got life again. And I believe it stirred in the, in the king hope that he would have grace available to him, that he would get to see something incredible. And here's why I believe it. Back to, to, to our story in, in verse 22. Now, now Haziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. And he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, says, God in his grace chose me. God has a plan for you. A little bit later in, in chapter 3, Paul writes, For if the inheritance depends on the law, me keeping up with things then no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace, God in his grace gave it to Abraham. He gave the promised land through a promise, not through the law. See, when God sends his grace, take the grace. Grab hold of the grace. Here's the last thing. Take courage. T take courage. Second Kings chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. When Haziel, king of Syria, died, Ben-Hadad, his son, became king in his place. See, here's the truth. The enemy that you're facing will not hold power over you forever. It, it will not hold power over you forever. See, King Joash's greatest enemy died. And it says this in verse 50, Then Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, took again from Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities that he had taken from Jehoaz, his father, in war three times. Did you notice that? 
Three times. What the prophet has said is coming true. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel. Because he took courage. He stepped into the grace that God was providing. The hope again. He took courage. In Deuteronomy chapter 31. The people of God are facing this tremendous onslaught, possibly from the Egyptians. They're backed up to the Dead Sea. And Moses tells them, be strong, take courage. Don't be intimidated. Don't give them a second thought because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. Friends, you and I can take courage after we take grace, after we step into that. You know, one of the reasons that we can take courage is because we worship a God who was in a grave, who came out of the grave. He was on a cross. He died for our sin to give us victory over sin. He came out of that grave to give us victory over death. The victory's been won, but we have to step into that. We have to understand that, that, that our God, he can turn graves into something beautiful he's able to to take the bones of a dead prophet and bring life we sang about it in rattle earlier uh, from the scripture that we read from from ezekiel that god can raise up a, a field of bones turn it into a great army and god can do that in your life he can do it starting today What are you going to take today? What are you going to take for your own? Let's pray. Father, we we come in Jesus' name to give thanks to you. We thank you for the reality that we don't have to go get a victory. We have to fight. We have to face struggles. But we do it from a position of victory in Jesus alone. And we give you thanks today. We, we come once again gathered as your people to celebrate. Some gathered at home celebrating, giving thanks, God. Lord, we come because we, we need that victory right now. We need your grace right now. We need to take those things and take courage. So, God, we, we pray help us. Lord, we want to see in our life. We want to see you being victorious. We want to see you taking those things that feel like death for us and turning those around to life because that's who you are. You're the giver of life into the places in our lives that are dead. So we come today, God, again, seeking you. We come giving thanks to you. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you're here and for the very first time, maybe, maybe, You've not had a life or a hope of life beyond belief. And today, God is calling you to step out, to step towards him, to get a little bit of hope. Or maybe, maybe you're here today and you've done that, but at some point along the way, you, you were striking, you were striking, but then you stopped. You kind of gave up. You kind of fell by the side and... And today you're coming back saying, I want that, Lord. I need victory in you this day. God, we come now to worship you. We come to worship the one that is able to turn graves into gardens. We come to worship 
the only true and living God who has the ability to take us in our brokenness and give us victory if we'll take you at your word. Let's worship him together. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.